is BTS with CTV behind the scenes, behind the stories we bring you from the CTV Vancouver newsroom. My name is Penny Daflos and I'll be your guide behind the curtain, which takes us to a huge portion of British Columbia experiencing the flood of the century. And in all, 23 local states of emergency are in effect across the province. You cannot understand the threat these families here are facing until you're standing in the middle of it with the fish swimming around your feet. Two CTV crews were there to bring the heartbreaking reality to viewers right across the country. You just go home, you have a good cry, you know, and then you get up the next morning and you do what you have to do. A perfect storm of extreme snowpack, heavy rains and the heat. It can be a life and death situation. At minimum, you're going to lose material goods. At maximum, you could lose your life. Emotions ran high as a handful tried to challenge barricades to be reunited with loved ones. It scared the shit out of me. How's that sound? It really scared me. Because I wanted to come home and be here for my lady and my dad. Few people escaped unaffected with thousands of families displaced and many homes destroyed by a nauseating mix of flood water, sewage, gasoline and other chemicals. Homeowners already living through the devastation of historic flooding met by police barricades on Tuesday. And I've still got a cat. Um, she's holed up in the woodshed and we've been leaving her food and water. And now they're telling me I can't get to her. And um, yeah, it's just, it's really emotional. We're going to start today with Gary Barnt and Sarah McDonald, who just came back from how many kilometers did you do up there, Gary? Uh, 1,500. I just looked at the odometer. It's about 1,500 kilometers for the whole deal. Round trip, you literally, at the time of this recording, you've just walked into the newsroom. Sarah, you've been up there the longest out of everybody. How are you feeling right now? Surprisingly, I'm not as tired as I expected to be. Uh, it was a long nine days, but it was a great nine days. And we waded through a lot of a lot of floodwaters, and I felt like our feet were soggy for nine days straight. Um, it'll be nice to get into you know our own beds and have a bath, but... Um, for the most part, yeah, feeling surprisingly good at this point. Obviously, physically exhausting because a nine-day tour up there. Gary, I know you were there for, for half of that with Sarah. Uh, but what is it like just in terms of the emotional, speaking to people who've lost so much and and people who still face such an uncertain future up there? It was tough. And as you know, Penny, and Gary knows this too, anyone who's been in, in that sort of situation, like the wildfires last summer or anything, of course, you've, it takes a toll on you in, a, in several different ways because you feel, of course, for the people that you interview. And I feel by the end of the day, you just feel drained most days. But we obviously talked to people who had lost their homes. We had one woman take us into her house and it had water up to a meter high water just everywhere. All of her furniture was completely... I don't even see how she would be able to recover in that house. I was mostly amazed at how positive everybody was in Grand Forks. And they were all so, we said multiple times, they were so welcoming to us. And it was amazing. They were also hospitable. We, we left today. We had one of the flood victims that we interviewed earlier in the week. We kind of took a drive around to some of the houses to say goodbye before we left and just say, we wish you well and let's keep in touch. And two of them said, if you guys ever come back up and you want a place to stay, you have a free room in our place. And it was just amazing. And these are people that... Their houses are flooded. They don't even know how long they'll be able to stay in their own houses, and they're extending 
they're opening their doors to our news crew. And how did you find the tone, Gary, as opposed to other natural disasters that you've covered? Because depending on the circumstances, the support, you know, the town itself, sometimes there can be a really different tone. How did you find this one was different from others? Um, this, yeah, well, it was very strange. Like, like Sarah just said, I mean, like, everybody's very, yeah, people have lost their homes or they're not in their homes and they're still friendly to you. They're still talking. Mm-hmm. They're, they want to help you. Uh, even um, the officials there and the RCMP, like, they, you know, like, yeah, we can't really let you into this area area, but we can go over this way a little bit, and you can get your shots from here, and I'll just stay with you for a second. And sure, no problem. Then it's like, well, we can probably get a little closer. And, and yeah. you know, because, you know, like, they're looking... I mean, kudos to the, the, the RCMP for letting us do that. Like, I mean... We found, you know, some other crews had some difficulties, but I think they were kind of put trying to flex their muscles. A media group, like, you know, we want to be in here, and we just kind of went with the flow. And if you get the if you get the right people, it uh, it, it worked out for us. I mean, we got we uh, we got the shots that we needed. And when you go to a forest fire, you know, those orders, you know, you can't get in there. There's no way you're getting in there. Um, uh, here, they were. It, it wasn't as as. You know, there was no verboten. It's like, okay, we're going to... That one day, they let all the residents in for 12 hours. So we went in there. We shot what we did. We did our live hits. We did what we had to do. You know, and then the bullhorn comes by and saying, you have 10 minutes to leave the area. 10 minutes. Well, we stayed a little longer than the 10 minutes, but nobody was coming down to kick any of the people out. It's like... Well, we see, still see people sandbagging, so we'll let that slide. And, you know, okay, we're packing up, and we left, like, a little later than that. But, you know, it wasn't like, you know... Police cars rolling up and saying, "You got to leave now because it's you know time's up." It was it was it was a little easier. I mean, it's still still long days and stressful though. That's for sure. I just want to bring in uh, reporter David Mulko and cameraman Steve Saunders, who were actually the first crew to go up there and start covering uh, this uh, disaster, this uh, landmark flooding that we're seeing in our province. Thank you so much for being on BTS with CTV. You're welcome. It's great to be here. David, when were you assigned? How did this all happen? Just to give people an insight into when there's a big breaking story like this, how are reporters are tasked to go into the field? I got a call from our assignment desk saying, hey, it's bad. Can you go to the Okanagan? At that point, we were thinking going to sue you it's not as far as Grand Forks just because it would be practical for that day and I said sure no problem and then went through my routine of what do I need to take what do I need to pack where are the hip waders where are the you know where's my hat where's the sunscreen kind of all the practical things and you want to kind of take the time as you do that and not rush out the door because that preparation part is really an important part when you're headed in you don't know how long you're going for it could be two days they were saying it could be two weeks it's a big drive up to get to the story so when you finally you know get on the road it was about what four and a half five hours and meanwhile along the way while steve is doing the driving i'm making my list of all the emergency sites making my calls to the mayor of town uh, trying to figure out what's happening where how bad is it Uh, back here in in Vancouver they're talking about sending chopper nine over to Grand Forks to get some overhead shots because there was no way we were going to make it there in time we had a uh, a freelance cameraman Curtis Allen who was headed to Soyuz ahead of us to kind of get a lay of the land and try to gather uh, some interviews video and could kind of give us a steer so that when we arrived which I think was 2.30 in the afternoon yeah, 3 o'clock for a, for a 5 o'clock newscast and 6 o'clock newscast we could kind of hit the ground running I had a lot of the information at my fingertips we kind of knew where we needed to be and uh, to try to get get on the air by five o'clock that afternoon. Gary and Sarah, back to you guys now. Uh, there are always people that we meet on stories that, you know, kind of stand out and you're are just going to stick in your brain and, you know, you're going to remember throughout your career. It, it sounds like you had uh, at least one person it, through this assignment that is going to kind of um, fit the bill there. 
one of the stories that stuck out with me the most, and our other camera guy, uh, Jazz Singer, who's not here, but we met um, this woman named Arena, and we were at, it was the second day that we were up there um, after David and Steve had left, um, and we were at the, the sort of emergency operations center where everyone was sandbagging, and this man came up to us, and he was like, you guys, we need we need you to meet this woman um, who's, and of course that happens to us quite a bit. You know, people come up and say, oh, we have a great story for you. And and so we were kind of like, okay, well, let's meet her. And we ended up meeting Arena. She was there. She was a woman in tears walking around by herself. And essentially she was, she felt as though she was being ignored by officials. And she told us, uh, Jazz and I, she said, my house is about to fall into the riverbank. Nobody is paying attention to me. And this was at the height of everything. This is when um, the hardest hit neighborhoods, so that's the Ruckle neighborhood in Johnson Flats, that's when um, the police barricades had gone up and they weren't letting people into those neighborhoods because it was dangerous and because the water levels were so high. But Arena was one of the houses that was on a riverbank. So she wasn't flooded, but her house was essentially hanging over the edge of the river. Um, and so we, as, as Gary was saying earlier, everybody's so amazing. We just hopped in her truck with her basically and said, well, take us to your place. Like, let's go, let's go see what you're talking about. And we ended up getting there and it was, as she described it, it was this incredibly beautiful house. It was built on a very solid foundation. As as she described it, she said at the time it was built, it was built way far enough back that we never thought we'd be at risk of anything like this. But with these, these high waters, it had broken away the whole riverbank and it was essentially hanging on one metal pole and it was this massive house that was just basically it looked as if she told us she said if one of these trees falls the whole house is going to go um and as we talked to her more she was so emotional and we ended up learning from her that she said well it's not just my house but my husband built this house and he passed away a year and a half ago it's painful my husband built this house and he built it like what he loved, and he put all his heart and soul in it. We never had the kids to say, I have a kid for my husband. This is, this is part of him. It's a life piece, what I actually I have in my soul right now. Jazz and I both looked at each other. We were having a hard time not crying because it's one of those moments where it was, it's hard not to be affected by stories like that. And, and as we left today, her police, her, um, her house was behind police tape and she's among one of the 40 houses up there that have now been given hazard notices. So one of those things that you leave thinking, well, geez, I wonder how this person is doing. And I look forward to, to touching base with her in the coming weeks and months, because it's, those are the stories that we want to keep tabs on and we want to follow up on. So that we have iPhones. Um, We're able to do a lot of things with them, but at the end of the day, the TV camera is a really powerful tool. Uh, We can zoom in from long distances. The audio quality is amazing, Uh, but it also makes it treacherous for you. I mean, for you to just throw on some hip waders and just start going into the water, it's not really feasible because you don't know what's under that water. It's not like it's, you know, walking into a swimming pool and you can see what's in the bottom. And it's a very expensive piece of equipment. You're off kilter because it's so heavy. Uh, You know, they paint us a picture about, you know, your considerations in trying to bring something like this to life on, on a TV screen. Well, the first thing is that I knew it couldn't be going under the tripod because that's they're big and heavy, and you got the camera that's the same way. And it's just like you say, you're not sure of your footing everywhere you go. So I just went with a 
a monopod, which is like a, a stick-type thing, thing that uh, fixes to the bottom. You can stabilize the camera a little bit, but it also comes in handy because it's, it's a depth gauge. You can take it off and you can feel your way around, um, much like a blind person would I get seeing what's in front of you and how deep it is. David was on a wireless mic, so that made it easy. We don't have to be tethered together with a audio cord, so that was really handy. Some of our stand-ups and things we're doing in the live pieces, David's like 30, 40 feet away so that we can show just how much water is surrounding this whole area. So, But as you're walking around, it is a little bit tricky, and like I say, there's some in the soys, there was a huge carp that are swimming up in between your legs, which is it's almost tripping you. Is it, did, did that really happen? It really happened. There was a lot of big carp. That we're not talking like two or three fish. We're talking like dozens. And then the neighbor over there is like, oh, I saw a salmon the other day. And then up comes this mallard duck quacking and quacking, all confused. And we just, you just kind of like shake your head and laugh about it. Theater of the absurd in the middle of a flood zone, hey? It, it, it was bizarre. But, I mean, it's, that's the lake. Now the lake is part of the, the city streets, so I guess it's only natural. So monopod, uh, you're off kilter, but then you're still trying to focus. You're still trying to white balance. The sun is coming in and out. You're doing all this different stuff. That's uh, it's, it's a complicated dance. As a camera person, a lot of the time you're so there's so many balls you're juggling in the air on this kind of stuff. Because I'm also I'm also dealing with battery management because you have only a, you know I got to make sure the Digero is ready. I got uh, feed stuff. You're bulk feeding then um, yeah battery you know got battery management. I want to make sure the truck's always fueled up in case we got to go long distance. So I'm and then I'm trying to get as many shots as I can. I'm always worried about, well, are we supposed to be in this area and we're going to get kicked out, so I want to get the best shots I can get as quickly as I can. And then you're always looking at time because you have to get, because you're bulk feeding, which is a term basically you're setting all of the visuals back every second of it. And if you shoot an hour's worth, while well, you're setting an hour's worth at real time. So you want to get that back as early as you can for the editor. You want to and give Sarah time to you know look at everything. So you put all the visuals on a little USB stick for her so she can watch it on her computer. And then you're doing all that. And then you have to voice. And then you go, okay, now we got to go back and find a live hit location, so you want to find a good live hit location. And of course, these little magical boxes that we have that you've talked about in many podcasts before <laughs> better have decent cell service, right? So that's it's so you're you kind of come out of this whole it's always you're kind of juggling all these things, you're just managing everything to make Sarah's life easier that she just can concentrate on okay, she's got to tell the story, and the less distractions that she has the better and I'll just kind of take care of the, everything else right and that's that's you know I, I think great people and all that but I was just more like all the visuals I have to get and you just you just kind of get into that zone you've got to get all this you got to get you know get everything you can right time management because there are just never yes. enough hours in the day exactly. and then you Especially see something really the... awesome at like 3 p.m. Yeah. and there's just no way to get it well, in there that, that actually happened to not I will say on that note when Gary's saying you know and you know this Penny when you're on the road and you're up against a timeline and yeah. you just want to put your headphones on and start working um, and Gary joked the first night because we were cutting or the first day I should say we were in uh, my uh, hotel room and just as I'm getting down to work he kind of cracked, cracked a joke he was like do you want me to perform you know the opening scene of Rent for you like because <laughs> <laughs> he's like, like how can I like distract you right now and I was just like that's exactly because as a reporter as you know you're like when you are dialed in you're just like block out everything and then Gary of course because he was joking he ended up just leaving for an hour just letting me do my stuff transcribing writing yep. coming back in let's voice this feed it in but it was it's it's always good to work with somebody who knows what that's like um, and always has triscuits at the ready because oh, you gotta know God. your personality of your reporter am I right yeah, yeah. Uh, the whole secret is you, you have when you go on a road trip is you should know the reporter you get assigned to you should best. know what their vice is okay <laughs> 
okay? So, you know, I know, I know, I know some female reporters here who like sheet cake and, you know, hash browns. I won't mention oh, any names. I gotta find I, out who that others, is. Others like the Triscuits, and then, you know, Penny's got her vices we won't talk about. Uh, hey, come on. And you want to keep, you want to keep them happy. You got to keep them going because, you know, it's, they're long hours. And yeah, it's, it, like you said, it's time management, like, and, you know, and a lot of the time when these things happen, sometimes and then like a couple of days later, the officials go, oh, well, we have this photo op for you. And you're like, oh, this is great. It's awesome. Yeah. It's at four o'clock. Oh, that's not really going to help. Yeah. That's not really going to help us. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's great. Thank you for getting it done. But we won't be there because we have to be feeding and we have to get ready for the five o'clock and the six o'clock. So that's just not going to happen. So there's things like that. I mean, for me, I got to go up in a helicopter, you know, like I've never been in one of those before. <laughs> and so I got to get, got an aerial tour up there. And that was a great way to see everything. And then we went out with the military one day, followed them in their armored personnel carriers out way out into like the boonies there. And they were checking on some houses that and that ended up being a major part of her story because they were driving into this property to check in, see if there were animals or there's still people there. And the only way to get through the road, there was no road, so they had to use their, their vehicles. And all of a sudden, this woman pulls up in a car behind us, and she's like, who are those guys? What are they doing? What are they doing? And they said, oh, were they checking? And I said, oh, the animals are fine. I just checked them. They're my animals and all that kind of stuff. And we found out, well, it's the owner of the property. And so she ran up to the tanks and told them, don't worry, don't scare the animals. They're fine where they are. And then Sarah had a great talk with her, and we talked to her and got great clips from her. I mean, she unfortunately, she lost a, a bunch of cows and stuff like that, but her dad n- narrowly made it out. They had to get him out by jet boat, and and then you could just see in the distance, not her, their house, but I guess the neighbor's house was basically off the foundations. And when we f- I flew over it the next day, it's like, yeah, that's that house, you know, those people, I don't think those people were around. Uh, that house is not going to, they're not going to be able to fix that because it's literally slid off the foundation. I don't think you can just pull a house and put it back on the foundation. I think you got to basically tear it down. You almost can't recognize the place from when we moved in. The view from above Friday, houses, cars, everything abandoned in a hurry. Today, his street, a giant bathtub. I thought we were safe here because we're higher than the river. But it was like a sneak attack. Derek Fillion, who's the guy we sort of featured on our Saturday story, Derek is great. He's basically got a home that <laughs> there's several feet of water in it, and things are not very good. But we were able to get down there, and one of the things that, uh, speaking to the humor part, he comes out, he had rescued his Winnipeg Jets shirt because he's from Winnipeg, and he just moved out a year and a half before. And, of course, with him in the playoffs, it was a big... That was important to him. I mean, he's lost so much stuff, but he realized that there's some humor in that too. And then also him, you know, David helped him carry out some stuff. And the second trip, besides computer stuff, was a couple of cases of beer because, you know, it's priorities, right? It's going to come in handy, I think, in what he's facing. So it seems like you made a real connection with him as well, David, just to enable in being uh, able to go help him out, lending him your hip waders. And then so you're in there just in your own jeans. And this is not just muddy water. There's sewage mixed into it. There's gasoline. There's all sorts of ter- terrible things. But you gave up your hip waders in order to help this guy. I mean, it's sort of a who knows what's in there moment. We were standing on the edge of this neighborhood, South Ruckle and um you know, other other homeowners were coming back for the first time in 24 hours, trying to see if they could get to their houses. And again, it was sort of a patchwork of, are you on higher ground? Did you get a little bit lucky? This house on the left side of the street is, you know, a foot higher. It's completely dry. And then Derek's house, you know, on the right side is in, in the uh, in the yard. It's probably almost waist deep. And inside, you know, he has a few steps up between a foot to six inches of water. And we ran into Derek kind of at the entrance to the neighborhood and we're chatting and he said, yeah, I'd love to go back in, but I can't go back in. The water's up to my crotch. And I said, 
oh god that's terrible and he just looked like he wanted to go back he was talking about uh uh, his wife and how she works from home and runs her own business and if he could get her computer then she would have kind of something to keep her hands occupied with while they were staying with friends and I said well I mean I have these if I give you these can we ride back with you and he had this big suburban with I think four-wheel drive and we can go to your house and we can see what it looks like and he said not knowing kind of what he was going to say but you know I was happy to do that and he said yes uh, so we jumped in and drove in and kind of did the, the shoe trade and everything. And I had a pair of hiking boots I could put on, which, you know, went up to my ankles, but that's about it. And we got to his street in front of his house. And the water in the middle of the street, which is probably the highest point, was maybe a foot and a half up to the running boards, maybe a little bit more, would you say, Steve? Yeah, it was the running boards. I had high Wellingtons on just below my knees, and it was about an inch from there. So, and that was at the high point of the road. So, you know, you get into where the properties are, which drop down a little bit from the road, so it's, it's a lot of water. And Derek's standing in the middle of the street. There's a sofa floating over there. Someone's wading through in their swimsuit. And we know the water levels had dropped. The river was not rushing through the neighborhood. It was more, it felt like more like a bathtub, like it had been filled up and there was just no way for the water to get out. So there was not, there was no inherent, it didn't feel risky in that sense of this current was going to come and sweep everyone away. But yes, it was a decision. I mean, Derek was going to go in, find his wife's computer, see his house for the first time. And, you know, we could let him do that. Or I could just suck it up and jump in the water with him. And that's what I did. And he did suck it up. He went in there, got soaked up to his nether regions, and he's got his phone. He's doing the, you know, the the great thing about the, the technology nowadays, we have, we can use our iPhones and, and they can do amazing stuff. David went in there and he's getting tons of great stuff that you can only get if you, if you can get to it and, and do that kind of thing. So that really had a huge impact on how we could tell that story because you could see exactly what uh, Derek was facing and all this. And it was just devastating this was their retirement home and it was basically gone and he's sort of saying now well, i don't know about retirement you know i think he works at, in did he say the lumber yard there yeah and his wife runs her own business or, or works from home and it's sort of like well what now we made two trips and and the second trip out um i think i had his computer or his wife's and these are not like laptops it's the big you know tower computers that are heavy and the rest of it and he's carrying these two cases of, of kokanee. And I'm like, I've got this computer, and we're coming out the front door, and I know he's stacked sandbags that I'd almost tripped over before uh, right around the front porch. You can't see them. You know, it's four feet deep. And I'm like, uh-oh, what if I drop his computer into the water? And I'm like, okay, David, stop. This is not a possibility. You're going to help this guy out. You are not going to drop it. You're going to be extra, extra careful. For those of you who know me, I'm a little bit clumsy sometimes. Um, and we got it out. We loaded everything in the back of his, his truck, and we just had a moment to kind of stop and catch our breath and for him to catch his breath and sort of just get his thoughts on um, his impressions from being back in his house after they had done all this work on it and put a new roof on it and what was going to happen now and and how that was just kind of sinking in. Steve, we talk about the beer, and Steve was joking about it. He cracked one in the back, didn't he, yeah, while we were... They were setting up to do a stand-up and getting ready for that, and he just grabbed one of the beers out of the, the case that he had, and he said, do you want one? I said, tempting, but I think you probably need it more than me, and he just cracked it open and he downed the beer right there. It is great to see that sense of humor. He, he was telling us how he had just put a brand new roof on his house. And I knew just from dealing with him for the, the hour that we had that he had a sense of humor. And I said, it's a good thing that you've got a new roof on there because you wouldn't want the house to get wet when it really rains. And he, he laughed. I mean, what can he do but laugh in the face of that adversity? So it was good to 
sort of break the ice with him, share some of that stuff, and help him out. I mean, to, to get back to his place and for him to get some stuff. There's two kinds of people, and it's not easy having a camera stuck in your face, but we've, we've got the people that were more upset because you might walk in their lawn and it's wet and, and all that, and then you've got a guy driving down the road saying, I should have my fishing rod out the, out the back because there's two feet of water and there's a carp that were a foot and a half long swimming all around us when we're filming that stuff. So there's a sense of humor that sort of makes our day better, and I think it makes the people that suffer through it a little better too. Driving, I'm driving, and I turn this corner, I turn this other corner, and we see this guy, well, leaf blowing. And so Sarah gets out and just talks to him for a sec. And the next thing you know, the guy's in the back of my car. He says, Yeah, I'll take you to exactly where that problem is, right? So we, we drove down, we found this first house, a beautiful house that I guess gets rented out by this gentleman as a guest house for people. And the backyard, which goes to the lake, was basically the creek was going through the entire backyard. And they had gotten water into the bottom. And so, this, and it's like, it's not something they could actually even walk out. You get swept away. And he says, okay, well, I'll take you somewhere else. So I took him to another guy, buddy's house. And his, his buddy who lives in Edmonton who hadn't been there yet, his house is like completely surrounded by water. And, you know, and there's muck and oil and that. And it's like, it's like, wow. It's like, and this guy hasn't seen the house yet. So he's going to be coming back uh, and he's going to see this for the first time. And, and it's just like, you know, what do you do? And, but it's like, just the kindness of the people there. It's like, no, I'll get in the back and I'll, I'll take you to where it is so you guys don't have to drive around. And, you know, and they all know each other. So, yeah, yeah, I'm just showing the, t- oh, yeah, sure, whatever. And, you know, it's like better than, you know, you're trying to go there and then people are, oh, why is there a TV crew in the neighborhood and stuff like that, right? And apparently we, then we bought snacks at the gas station and found out the mayor runs the gas station. And I was like, what? <laughs> yeah. Really? Okay. It's like, okay, well, let's, you know. That's, uh, that's the beauty of small town BC. Yeah. It really is. I never want to leave when we go. I was saying to Gary, um, our another uh, photographer, of ours, Peter Bremner and I, we were in Castlegard last summer, and we said the same thing too. Everybody was so friendly. It's so nice to be warmly received because, of course, a lot of the times we aren't as members of the media. And it was so nice to be warmly received. Have people actually say thank you for being here? We would go to the the I there was a gas station where I would get my coffee every morning, and they every morning they'd say, you know what, it's on us. We appreciate your coverage, and it's important for you guys to get the word out of what's going on here. And it's it makes a world of difference for us. Yeah, we're, to not, be, we're, we're not used to having people drive by, yeah. roll down one and say, thank you for being here. Usually they're saying something else, which I'm not going to repeat on the podcast, <laughs> yeah, right? Exactly. It's like, thanks for being yeah. here. Thanks for the coverage. We really appreciate it. And you're like, yeah, no problem. You don't know what to say. It's yeah, like, like thanks, so, for, thanks for talking to us. Yeah, like, thanks for sharing your story. Yeah, because yeah, usually when the media yeah. shows up in force in a neighborhood somewhere, somewhere, it's never a good thing. And, and yeah. a lot of people aren't, aren't happy to see you there. And But they were all, yeah, like Sarah was getting free coffee from the local gas station. Because I know you guys are telling an important story and you, we need it to get out. Because I guess, you know, if they, they're worried that if it doesn't keep getting out, then they're not going to get the help from the various levels of government because it's just going to disappear, right? So On that note, too, a lot of them were... Like, it, ironically, uh, unhappy to see us leave, which is, again, we're not used to that, but we were leaving today. We were going around and saying goodbye to a lot of the subjects that we have gotten to know over the past week and a bit. And a few of them were saying, well, we understand that you guys need to leave because obviously we have a travel budget and obviously the story is somewhat dying down for a national audience in terms of um, it's more of a local story now with the the cleanup and the rebuilding and the restoration process. Um, But they were saying, we don't want you guys to leave because this is keeping, we need to hold our officials accountable. And the thing is, when the media moved in, that was when we really saw the province start to act and declare a state of emergency. And then we saw, you know, the federal government act and and offer financial aid and then send in the Canadian forces. And that is where the media does play a pivotal role in terms of exposing what is going on um, in areas like that that are in need of help. So 
Thank you so much for being on BTS with CTV. Welcome home. And Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's good to be home. Thanks for having it. It's good to be back. I hope it's the first appearance of many on the pod. I hope so, too. Yeah. There still seems to be a lack of coffee and uh, accoutrements here, but we'll work on that. I hope we're cleaner next time. We both need to go home and have a shower right now. But I hope we have a lot more road trips this summer, and I hope we're back uh, on BTS. Yeah. Thank you very much. It's nice to be back in dry land. I like that. Yeah, you're welcome. I also want to thank Adam Lee for his support with Archival Audio this week, and thank you for joining us on BTS with CTV. Is there a topic you'd like us to cover on a future podcast? Email me, bts at ctv.ca, and if you like what you heard, please subscribe for more insights, tidbits, and the stories behind the stories. I'm Penny Daflos. Penny Daflos.